Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. I'm Jackie Ackerman. I am the Associate Director of the Women's Philanthropy Institute. We're housed at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. WPI exists to uh, curate, produce, and disseminate research on gender and philanthropy. And for us, that includes looking at women as donors and also the important cause area of giving to women and girls. We have just come off of a wonderful WPI symposium. It's the first one we've been able to um, host in person since 2017. Um, 2020 kind of uh, threw everything out the window as far as our, our grand plans for our last symposium. Um, and we are thrilled to have uh, three women here who were with us at the symposium. Um, I'll turn it over to them to introduce themselves. I am uh, Monique Kufsen, President and CEO of Grantmakers for Girls of Color, or G4GC as we call ourselves. And G4GC is the nation's primary philanthropic intermediary that is exclusively resourcing movements and organizations that center and are led by girls, femmes, and gender expansive youth of color. I've been thinking about how we deepen and strengthen partnerships to create an even more dynamic community of women in philanthropy who embrace multiple foundations of giving and contributing to society. There were a lot of conversations during the conference about um, notions of power, opportunities where the word power was used or shared, um, and there was no real deep interrogation about how we really, really uh, wrestle with this term and, and how we talk about its distribution and how that, that informs our grant making. So I'm really, well, there were some conversations, but they, they weren't formal conversations. So I'm really glad that we're having um, this opportunity here to have some of that uh, take place because it's been sitting with me since the, the conference. Hello, I'm Marcia Morgan, and I am an advisory board member for the Community Investment Network. And um, I have the privilege of actually being one of the founding members of the Birmingham Change Fund, which was a giving circle started in 2004. And when that giving circle was started, there was another one started in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, the North next generation of African-American philanthropists. And so those two circles combined actually birthed our network. Since that time, we have grown to a network of over 30 giving circles impacting African-American and communities of color. Um, with the impact across the country um, totaling millions, um, not only in our grant making, but also in the way that we have um, sold our time and our talents as well as testimony in our local communities. Um, so it's an honor for me to be here and share more about our network and our work today. But what has really been on my mind since the symposium is who was missing. Um, there were so many profound conversations um, about collective giving, as well as advocacy, trust-based philanthropy. Um, and so I was just thinking who was missing from being able to have an opportunity to learn more so that they could actually go back into their local communities and amplify their efforts even more. 
Hi, everyone. I am uh, Natanya Craig-Okendo. I'm the executive director of the Boston Women's Fund. Um, we are the oldest uh, fund in Boston, um, the oldest women's fund in Boston. Let me correct that. And we focus on uh, systems change and movement building work, specifically with grassroots organizations. We call ourselves a people's fund because we don't have priorities in the areas of like domestic violence or education. Our priorities are communities, and that is Black and brown women and girls, gender expansive folks, our indigenous communities, our disabled communities, our elders, our refugee and immigrant communities. So we center them. Um, and through centering them, um, we help, they help us define what our priorities will be, which are their priorities. I think something that I took away, and Dr. Monique, you actually just brought this up, was there was a sense in smaller conversations, um, uh, or there was like a sistership happening in these smaller conversations around essentially what it's like to be a woman of color in philanthropy and how incredibly difficult it is. I think I may have mentioned that I was trending at one point and I'm feeling like that trend is getting like I'm trending down now. And I say that as a black woman and and the but but the 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 idea that we're like if we work together as a collective, how we we can actually change that trend. So uh, one thing I took away is the power of us uh, to be honest, and that the work has to continue after the the conference. Right, the conference was like it, it kind of kickstarts us, but the work we're doing. Um, I think collectively has to continue past that. So that's something that I took away. Thank you all so much. I, I love it. Um, after being part of that uh, planning committee to hear actual um, feedback and real life takeaways is, is so helpful. Um, Natanya, I'm going to stick with you for a second. Um, the Boston Women's Fund uh, has a long history, of course, of supporting grassroots women-led organizations. Um, so how do you and how does the fund um, ensure that the organizations themselves have a voice in the grant-making process, speaking uh, to Monique's uh, comments about power and, and how to distribute that power. Um, and how how do you make sure that these organizations are able to shape the funding priorities um, of, of the Boston Women's Fund? Yeah, um, thank you. I think it's a great question. Um, I, I think we do this in, in three ways. Um, uh, the first is just being really intentional. When I first came on and I looked at, we have been doing participatory grant making since, since we have started. It has always been a value to our founding mothers. But the truth of the matter is that who we were um, recruiting as um, uh, volunteers happened to be people who had time, quite frankly. Um, and that ended up for us being um, retired white women. And, and, and as I started to look and think about you know, what is it we're really trying to do when we talk about shifting power? It is not that we don't want retired white women in the in the in the room helping us make these decisions, um, but we need that room to be much more diverse, right? Um, we need to make sure that all of the the constituents I just mentioned earlier on are in that room, um, and that we are uh, eliminating the barriers, quite frankly, that will stop them from being there. So whether that is daycare, if that's transportation, what if it's time, right? Like really trying to think about that. Um, so that that's one way is just really intentionality. Our young people have given us really direct feedback, which is often when they are part of kind of our larger participatory grant making, that they have 
they find that their voice is lost um, uh, because uh, there's ageism that is happening in these circles that we're always trying to figure out. But we have separated our young people. So they're still a part of like the larger our participatory grant making, but they also have power all of their own where they're helping us decide where money goes. And they're following a process that, quite frankly, ask the communities, like how often does philanthropy say to communities who is serving you well um, and will you nominate them and let us do the work to figure out um, if they're a good fit for us to fund. So I guess the three ways is is, is obviously being really intentional about who we want in the room um, and making sure we're eliminating barriers. Um, the second is our young people to me are our future. Uh, quite frankly, I was just talking to one of our young people who are bringing on full time. And I said to her, I was, I was saying to her, I was like, I'm not asking you just to be an admin. I'm asking you to be a thought partner because you are brilliant, right? And I need you to push me. I need when something feels a little off because the truth is the future is theirs and they are already leading in their own ways, right? Um, so giving me, giving them the agency to really do that and creating spaces with partners who also share those values. And then lastly, I think is really including the community. It's like philanthropy, the truth is, is that we want to know the, the best, those who can tell us best are those who are being served um, or partnering with these organizations. And so asking them um, and allowing them to be part of the process from the beginning uh, have been ways that we have been able to do that. Thank you so much, Natanya. Um, love, I, I love the clear organization, the three points. I'll, I'll follow up on that uh, a little bit. How, how do you think grant makers like the Boston Women's Fund can promote equity and justice, especially through their processes, their strategies, particularly for women and girls of color? So I know you've spoken around that a little bit, but can we get straight to uh, women and girls of color um, and, and, and their equity um, in, in your community? So I think that I think that it's really about conversations. I've been thinking a lot lately about I've been thinking a lot lately about allyship. It, it just comes up so much in our work. And I, I, if you were there, you know how I feel about trust-based philanthropy. I think that there also has to be very honest conversations about who philanthropy, the sector, uh, trusts and who we don't trust, right? Um, and why all of a sudden we are trying to essentially operationalize a value. And, I, and I, I can't help but wonder what happens when we move past allyship just into friendship, right? I, I do not know uh, Dr. Well uh, or... or, or um, I'm sorry, Marsha Well, but I will say this, I am a fan, right? And I know that if they call, if there's a need that I'm going to show up and that's a little different to me than allyship, right? Uh, and I'm wondering like how we get there. So for me, I think transformative relationships and conversations specifically is one way to get there. We consistently ask our grantees. So we're, we're in touch with our grantees four times a year through conversations and surveys. And we're always asking like, what can we do to make this make the process better? How do we show up better for you? And then we take that and we report back to them. And, not, and for everybody, it's not the same. And that's just the truth, right? So as much as we want to say across the board, this is what we can do. Um, across the board, organizations are in different areas and need different things. And I think it is our job as philanthropists to figure out how we show up um, in terms of uh, with an equity lens, uh, specifically for, for women and girls of color. The other thing I'll say is that we don't, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, um, we're just about to announce three, three new movement builders. 
their budgets all are under $25,000. Their gifts are going to be $25,000. So the the, the truth is, is that this idea that it should only be 30% of their operating budget, those types of um, those types of barriers that I'm not sure where this information came from or why we have these these ideas don't matter to us because what matters to us at the Boston Women's Fund is that we are getting dollars in the hands of black and brown women and girls uh, who are doing the work on the ground. Um, and so what are we doing as an organization to eliminate the things that have essentially left them out of mainstream philanthropy? Thank you, Natanya. I think for each of you, I could listen to you each for an hour. So really appreciate your insights. Monique, I'm going to turn to you now. Uh, Grantmakers for Girls of Color, of course, has this explicit focus on girls and gender expansive youth of color. Um, Can you talk, please, about some of the um, unique challenges faced by girls and women of color in accessing resources and support? And then how can grantmakers help address some of those challenges? Yeah, thank you for that uh, question. And I, as Natanya was talking, I was reminded that one of my favorite moments was just listening to Natanya on the panel. <laughs> I think we did something together a few years ago and, and we just had like a few moments to chat. But listening to you on the panel, I was like, that girl is fire. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear you speak again. I will share that in my experience, erasure and marginalization um, are really the biggest issues that continue to negatively impact girls, femmes, uh, and women of color in philanthropy. Um, you know, many of the strategies and portfolios that focus on women and girls lack a racial analysis, and those with a racial analysis often have a poor gender analysis. It's been the case for quite some time, and while we've made some progress with more foundations and folks in philanthropy talking about intersectionality or engaging intersectional frameworks, there's not really uh, the type of interrogation that is required, I think, for us to finally really break down some of those barriers and combat the core erasure that we're seeing take place or addressing some of the ideas of anti-Blackness and anti-Indigeneity that continue to impact our decisions and our understandings of communities that impact our decisions about giving in these spaces. Um, We found that, uh, you know, by engaging participatory strategies, some of what Natanya was starting to elevate um, in her comments before mine, um, and working closely with those communities that are most marginalized in philanthropic conversations, that we can build relationships, we can really, you know, sort of touch upon that core piece of that allows us to see these communities, right? Because we can't really engage them as partners or engage them as allies or engage them as friends to, again, borrow Natanya's framework, um, if we don't see them, if we don't recognize that they exist. So, you know, by co-constructing in, involvement and um, decision-making processes, G4GC has been able to reach um, every state we are, we've awarded uh, more than $25 million to almost 300 organizations and movements led by or centering girls, femmes, and gender expansive youth of color since 2020. We're funding in every state, D.C., Guam, and Puerto Rico. Um, and we've continued, we've been able to do that because we've continued to partner with other foundations and agencies to mobilize, uh, you know, much more than that as, as well. But in addition to that, really building into this core notion that those at the that are most impacted by our issue should be involved in the co-construction of remedy around this issue. Or, you know, sort of stated differently and in our research worlds, those who are the topic of inquiry 
Philanthropy should be at the center of the inquiry, right? So um, we don't approach philanthropy uh, as charitable giving. I think it's really important when we're talking about overcoming some of the barriers and really beginning to address the erasure and marginalization to challenge this notion of philanthropy as charitable giving and rather, you know, really see this as an opportunity for investments. We call our grantees co-investors. We call anyone from the grandmother and granddaughter who have a lemonade stand that, you know, contributes funds to our Black Girl Freedom Fund to our largest philanthropic investors or or foundation investors. We call them all co-investors. And, you know, we're doing this um, intentionally because for us, it is important to develop this praxis of reciprocity, um, which we discuss in our uh, theory of impact at G4GC, which is available on the website if you want to dig deeply into that. Um, But it is an idea that if we engage with young people, if we engage them in this process of of decision making, if we talk to girls, femmes and gender expansive youth of color and invite them to give us new language, new ideas, new you know, frameworks, honestly, that we will then begin to see them. <laughs> and, and in seeing them, we will not adopt this uh, saviorist mentality that has been such a deep part of philanthropy, but rather engage them as partners and, and a, a community worthy of investment. I feel like I'm in church. I'm just like, yes, everything, everything is great um, that, that you're saying. I, I love it. Um, before I, I pose some specific questions to Marsha, I, I want to throw something out to, to the group and um, whoever uh, wants to take it, um, all three of you perhaps, um, feel free to jump in. Um, but you've talked about trust-based philanthropy and kind of turning that um, around to how, how can recipients of funds trust grant makers. Um, and so for this kind of grant making audience, um, how, how does that balance work out though? Because I know that a lot of grant makers are um, really focused on oversight, accountability, um, but at the same time want to trust and support grantees. How how do you, um, or, or how do you recommend that, that other uh, grantees who are maybe kind of stuck in in this oversight mindset, um, start to think about and, and transition um, that balance. So I'll just jump in and, and and I'll say that I think it's so important for the sector to recognize long term impact. Um, and so a lot of the work that's being led by women of color is really focused on social change philanthropy. And so you're not going to see. Oh, you won't always see results annually, if that makes sense, that can show up in a grant report. But what you can understand and see um, is the impact that's happening. Um, So when Dr. Monique mentioned about the young girl who now sees herself as a philanthropist, those dollars spent that went towards her, those are the types of stories. And that's the type of impact that we have an opportunity to elevate. So when we're thinking about how are we collecting this data and how are we uh, quantifying the impact, it's important to qualify it. And a lot of that goes into how are we actually being able to tell those types of stories. Um, I think we all as a sector know there is importance to having, um, to being good stewards of the money that we are granting. But we have to balance that with understanding that a lot of, we know that 
organizations led by women of color receive pocket change, you know, literally compared to so many others. And so when we're thinking about um, how we can loosen the funding restraints, you know, can we provide general operating support, capacity building support, those things that really can remove some of those uh, reporting barriers, that would be extremely helpful. But then also, how can we make sure we're capturing the in- incremental um, stories and that impact that we're having over time? I, I agree. I think it's also about recognizing the agency, right? Recognizing the question was about, you know, sort of promoting agency. And, and you know, again, sometimes we have to take a step back because it, that assumes that we even see that these communities have agency, right? That assumes that, you know, we're operating in a way that explores, you know, what is possible I, I or, or that what is possible when we do that. I, I think it's time for us to shift a bit of our conversations, uh, again, about power, what it is, where it's located, and, you know, how we move together to improve conditions in our communities. Um, And I also think it's really, you know, part of how we promote leadership and engage in this recognition of agency for, at least in in our work with girls, femmes, and gender expansive youth of color, is to explore partnerships. We knew from the outset that we didn't have relationships with organizations and movements that were working with indigenous girls and FEMS. We, and we did that by analyzing our data from our first round of, or first couple of rounds of grant making through Love is Healing, which started off as a COVID response program. And we were like, we're not seeing indigenous girls applying. Like what is happening? Why aren't they talking to us? And then we were like, they don't know us. And then we realized they don't trust us because they don't know us. And so how are we going to resolve this issue? Right. We didn't just say, oh, well, right. We said, um, okay, let's figure out who they do know. Let's figure out who they do trust. We did that work. Once we got in there, we said, okay, let's establish partnerships that will move money through you because we know they trust you. And I don't need to be in the forefront. I don't need my name out there. It didn't need to say grant makers for girls, right? It needed to reach them. And so that is what we led with was who can we partner with at whatever level to ensure that we are elevating this leadership and agency through the trust they have with those that they are engaged with and how can we partner with them to do this work effectively. And so um, it's, it's, you know, I think I, I want to bring that in here because I think when we talk about this, sometimes we think about like, what can we do only, what can we do by ourselves? And I want to invite all of us to think about what we can do in partnership. I so appreciate that. I feel like I'm learning. I, this happens all the time. I have been in this role uh, going on three years. And even when I'm on panels now, I'm always like, oh, yeah, you have to talk. Because <laughs> I'm always like, I'm like writing down notes. I think the only thing I would add to that is that is that there is there. there I, I don't I don't I, I think when we are. Um, I love um, Dr. Monique, what you said is about this co-investorship, right? Like when we are co-investing, when we are bringing our dollars and they are bringing their expertise, that failure is going to happen. Like that is actually part of the process, right? Like that, that, that there, we have to be willing to uh, invest and then, and then think about like what uh, beyond my dollars, what is a role that I can play in helping to strengthen this leader, this organization, this community? Um, I think that those are important questions for us to ask. And I also think that there does have to be some unpacking of the current way we do business because it's not working. When the Boston Women's Fund was founded, it's not the same report, but it was like 0.77% of dollars were going to women-led organizations. It's the whole reason we exist. 
40 years later, like we're still like the numbers actually gotten worse. But I think that's because we've got there's more of us now. But it's, it's pretty pathetic. So I think that there has to be a, a point where we're all doing some if, if you if you are anti-racist, if you are really about gender equality that you are doing, you and your company are doing some real soul searching to think about like, what are the barriers that we have in place? And what is the fear in us giving up some of some of the ideas that have been led uh, in the philanthropic sector uh, for years now that quite frankly haven't worked, haven't gotten to certain communities, right? I just, I just have to say, like, you know, every time I hear Dr. Monique talk about the girls, I was that girl. So my commitment is so much deeper than my nine to five, right? Like, my, my, I am still healing 15-year-old Tanya who had a daughter, right? And so when I hear about the opportunities that are, are now being given to our girls, or I have the chance to create some, I'm like, come on, like, like, Really, when you bet on me, is there is it really? Are you feeling like is it so? Yeah, will something go wrong? A hundred percent. Can we get through it? A hundred percent. So I think that that's also something we have to think about. We've just got a few more minutes uh, left, sadly. Um, so I'll I'll just pose a, a few uh, questions to to the group. First, we got a question in from from the audience about a good first step. Uh, I know that you know. You all um, and WPI is certainly having conversations about about these issues and and have been for some time. Uh, for a grant maker or an organization that is a little newer to this, um, wants to dig in, but is hearing, you know, hundreds of different things basically that they could do uh, differently. What what would be you know the first step or two uh, that you would recommend to to a grant making organization? So I'm, I'm a researcher <laughs> by training. <laughs> so you know, I, I was in a similar position um, just a few years ago with being the inaugural CEO of Grantmakers for Girls of Color. Hundreds of things have been shared about what this organization should be, how we should work. What I did was essentially a non-scientific meta-analysis. Right. Which is essentially you take the pieces and you develop the themes across the board and understand what's elevating. Right. Who is elevating this information? What's showing up in different ways? What's showing up here, there and there? And then you start to make sense of all those things and then test it. It just builds out a spot and go. A lot of us hold on to information and think we can't start. Start. So when you start, start in partnership. Start in partnership with an organization that, again, has the relationships so that you can continue to grow, but continue to explore. Don't consider this a stagnant process. Consider this um, a continual process, you know, something that, that, that will grow and move and be iterative. All those things are OK. And to in the process of doing that, structure, you know, some of the measures of success such that they can give you the space to be able to say, okay, we're exploring this issue in partnership with this group and we're exploring in in partnership and with the trust of this other group as well so that there's a distribution of expertise or a recognition that knowledge is distributed and so that those resources should also be. So, and, and I echo that. I think research and understanding 
the issues you're trying to tackle, that's so important to a community or to an organization. Because if you're really being thoughtful and intentional, you have to have some type of background data on it. But I also think it's important to think about once you've done that research, okay, how are you factoring that into your practices and your policies? Are you thinking of creating um, a value statement around equity? Are you thinking about how you can even think, you know, create user equity lens as it relates to your grant making, Um, especially if you're really trying to target historically marginalized communities? You have to have some type of North Star and God in order to consistently do that um, year after year. And, and the, the great thing is you can always come back and change because information changes, needles move. Yes. And so you want to yes. make sure you're still being thoughtful about how you're impacting the community, but you have to have something that's going to put your organization all on the same page. All right. Natanya, anything to add? I think that was well said. I would not be adding anything different, so... <laughs> Thank you all. Um, Really appreciate your insights and, and your time today.